Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Oh, what a night. Watching Tottenham on a Tuesday night. You play for... Oh, what a night. <laughs> what an absolute disaster. Welcome to the pod, part of the Nighty Min Podcast Network. Uh, you join us off the back of what was not only a poor performance, but a pretty disastrous result. Uh, Jude Summerfield, how are you? Like, just, just in case it's the first time listening to the pod, if Spurs lose, Jude's runs sort of tend to get a little bit longer or mm. or a little bit sort of more I guess uh perhaps that you're you're in deeper thought on your run uh-huh. is that fair yeah I, I really I guessed myself out well I didn't do one yesterday I managed to hold off I did one this morning and it was about it was just under seven miles um Christ. but I gassed myself That's a lot out of about, thinking yeah <laughs> my deep guy um, I gassed myself out after about two miles, just being like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go really, really fast." I got all this fuel, and then like lactic acid started burning up in my calves, and it all went to shit just like yesterday. What beautiful poetry! <laughs> <laughs> it um, went to shit. So, Sean, just before we started, I said to Sean Walsh, who's also on the pub today, "I'm still really sad," and Sean just went, "Yeah, I'm over it." <laughs> Wow. This is the most fine I've been after a North London derby loss in a while because it just felt like that is exactly what we deserved. And I kind of, for me personally, I kind of had my high about 37 minutes in. So, you know, I won yesterday. I don't care. That, that is true. I got, you, you lot can all suffer. I won. Sean just going, I got off. I got there. I made it. <laughs> Hunter, are you able to dine out? At all on Lamella or no, not at all. No, no. I, at halftime, I very aggressively tweeted that give Arsenal the three points now. Their club has been disrespected more than any win could possibly do for them. But come full time, turns out we'd done our club quite a disservice. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no, the Lamella thing was gorgeous, but it was honestly it was a moment of beauty in a in a otherwise horrible storm. Yeah, someone described it as a diamond in the rough. I think that might have been Miguel Delaney described it as a diamond in the rough, which is a fair analogy. And um just on in terms of your point there, Hunter, I, I, I think uh I think I said something along the lines of call the game off after he scored. <laughs> and I bloody wish they had. Yes. <laughs> really wish they had. Yes. Dan, what was your view from you were at the Emirates. What was what was. was your view of it all? I just haven't really got anything new to say, unfortunately. Um, oh no, think, you're beaten down. Yeah, I've I've run out of opinions. I think um, I feel the same as as I have done for a lot of games this season. I, I just feel that tactically it was it felt like the wrong approach, and yeah. Spurs were punished for it really, and that was a shame, particularly in the context of the Lamella goal. I feel gutted about the Lamella goal. I think you know you know that that. The great Harry Kane 
curling finish in the in the mask that Spurs kind of always show clips of in the build up to every North London derby kind of endlessly. I, I think that one's always kind of coloured by by what happened afterwards. Um the fact that Spurs can see the really sloppy equaliser against ten men Arsenal. Yeah, Cockerland was off, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that I can't help but watch that go on and, and enjoy it, but think of what happened. And I think, you know, Lamella, it's going to be even worse. You know, it's going to be played a lot. And I think, you know, club social channels particularly will, will make the most of it. It'll be on Premier League years, it'll be on compilation of the season, but it will always be part of this dreadful performance where Spurs just didn't show up and. And felt like they were almost set up to fail, really, and, and didn't take the game to a to an Arsenal side that were that were there for the taking. I think so. That, that's a shame because that goal deserves to kind of be in a much more celebratory context. I think that's such a good point. I mean, there's so many goals over the course of history that have been that have been wonderful goals that have been part of defeats. And I guess one of the best examples of this that I can think of is Mandzukic's bicycle kick in the Champions League final. Unbelievable. I mean, you. It's just an incredible goal worthy of winning a final. And then they go out and get absolutely thumped off the back of it. And it means yeah. nothing. Mm. Um, and it, do you know what I, was, I think it's quite interesting. Last week we did a, we sort of, we had two approaches, didn't we? Um, that we were sort of trying to work out how they would flow if we utilised either one of these approaches. One was to try and let Arsenal blow both of their feet off. And the other was to try and go and put them in a position where we either forced an error or we just took the game to them and, and didn't give them a chance to kind of do it themselves. Um, and I have to say, I sort of, I'm, I'm trying to work out what we even did, whether we even did either of them. I think it was the former. I think it was the yeah. former. I think it was an attempt to play in a similar fashion to the home game, the, the tuna win where... Spurs had 30% possession. I think that was the idea, you know, let them have the ball, um, but just be primed for for quick counter-attacks and be primed to kind of hit them on the break and, um, you know, do what, what Spurs did to them at home. And, and I think Arsenal were expecting it. And I think, you know, they, they were shutting down pretty much every Spurs counter-attack immediately. They were, they were forcing... Um, Spurs deeper. They were they were kind of ruthlessly exploiting the weakness in the side, which was down the the right flank or, or there left flank, um, and and they you know, kept the ball very very well and, and played you know a, a nice game of progressive football against Spurs kind of reactive game of, of fairly negative football. And I think yeah, to echo I think what Sean just said, I think Spurs got what they deserved really. Mm. It was actually interesting that um, we, you said on the pod last week that, you know, we had the two approaches, either let Arsenal shoot themselves in the foot or kind of press them into it. The commentators, Martin Tyler and Smith, actually brought up three or four times when the game looked so kind of desolate and we just looked without such direction that they were saying, like, it seems like Spurs are going to try and wait for Arsenal to shoot themselves in the foot here. And I just thought it was just like, it's so obvious and it's so not working mm, what i said to, i said on our whatsapp group didn't i when was the last time this actually came off for us the, the last this, arsenal game yeah yeah and, and it was brought up it was probably the last arsenal game and you've got to think you know arteta's not a moron he's going to set up for two stars that spurs are going to come with they're the two stars who are either going to play on the front foot and try and press them or sit really deep and wait for them to 
Arsenal were, as they, I think as Dan said, they were they were so ready for yesterday. They they pressed all the riot when he had the ball. They let Sanchez have the ball and let him just loft it into midfield over and I mean the amount of turnovers um from that exact ball ball over the back line, ball over the back line, goes to Alderad, pressed, ball goes to Sanchez. All right, you can do it because we know you haven't got the passing range. Ball's turned over. Anyway, is this the good section? I've sort of <laughs> No, no, this is just more 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 general natter at the top. But we can uh, the thing is is there's so many things that like even just while I don't know if you guys have had this so far, but literally while everyone's been talking about their individual bit, I've gone like in my head I've gone, like, Oh god, and then another thing. Like I started thinking about another thing that's wound me up or annoyed me and even just listening to you there, Hunter, talk about Davinson Sanchez weirdly I thought Davinson Sanchez actually had quite a good game in terms of his defensive contributions other than the penalty but it certainly reminded me of the fact that I thought Endon Bele had one of his worst games in the Spurs shirt and the fact that we couldn't escape any sort of press was largely down to the fact that we couldn't we couldn't rely on him at all Hoybier another one like it just kind of like the dominoes keep ticking do you know what I mean what we've seen in games when we've set off in the second half is Indombele become completely unaffected. Like it can't affect games there. That's what I mean. We've seen that over and over and over. So to say he had one of his worst games, I absolutely agree. But also, it doesn't play to his strengths. It doesn't play to Bale's, Kane's, Son's, Lucas's. It, but I don't know whose strengths that tactic plays for. Who was on the pitch? Um, but anyway, I'm sure we'll come onto it. Yeah. yeah, this is. But this is why I asked the question at the top. I think it's really interesting that we've said like that we were going to sit off, but then we played the 11 that plays on the front foot. So I don't really understand. Anyway, as you said, to be continued, was <laughs> it, was it any, like we'll, we'll save Lamella for the, for the beautiful, because we can do him and the ugly together. I, I wonder whether there's anything good that we take from this game. I mean, it started good in the fact that Aubameyang was late. Which yeah. Well, are we saying that's going to be good from our camp? Aubameyang <laughs> couldn't be asked to get there on time. <laughs> in his chromed out Lamborghini uh, I, the one that I was going to say was I thought Regulon had a had a decent game he managed to he managed to sort of <laughs> he managed to get beyond the halfway line when he probably wasn't supposed to and he kept Saka very quiet which is you know no mean feat I mean Saka's having very a true. terrific season very so true. I thought he had a I thought he had a good game and it's good that he hasn't been called up for the Spain squad so he just can sit at home and stay fit for two weeks. Thank you. <laughs> and there's a few, I think there's a few of those in the Spurs squad, isn't there, that aren't going to travel, which is a real treat. I mean, it's <laughs> absolute touch. But we're really clutching at straws. Um, I'll, you... shuffle, I'll shuffle it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I that's like fair. Lucas. I've just sort of come round to him the last few weeks. I mean, I think he just showed a bit of fight yesterday. He, he showed a bit of bottle that, that perhaps was missing elsewhere. And a two-one down, he was the guy. You know, he, he tried to Wolfsburger them, which I quite enjoyed at one point. He probably he did really to, well. He did really he tried well. Tried to right? run through everyone and just yeah. just managed to get past about three, and then mm. and then came up short. But he was the guy, not only winning the free kicks, but taking most of them at the death with his son being off the pitch. Um, and perhaps he would have taken them if he'd been on. But Lucas was was was, was decent, I thought, and I, and I think you know he's he's earned the right to be the, the kind of number 10 for the time being. And and I don't think anyone really has a problem with that anymore. But yeah, it's it's slim pickings in the good section, has to be said. Shawnee, <laughs> you must have loads. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my God, I actually... 
No, I have nothing. I have, I have nothing to say. It's like the Mourinho clip where he says, I have nothing to say. <laughs> nothing. There is, no, there is nothing. There is, it is only bad and ugly today. Yeah, that's upsetting, isn't it? Jude, well, anything... Kane almost scoring a free kick. I was going to put that in the beautiful. Second time. That's about it. Oh, is that <laughs> he's beautiful? Gonna, he's going to be forever. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, I did feel like, I did feel like when he stepped up to the, the free kicks, I was like, Maybe today's the day where he does it. Mm. You know, he's it did seem like, free. yeah, this is all like made for him. And then you just sort of have to pinch yourself a little bit and then sort of remind yourself that the ball usually travels into Rose Z when he stands over one. <laughs> so, Roy of the Rovers or not. <laughs> let me let me chat this out there though, Sean. I, I ping this to you. I realised that as Spurs fans, we're all in a position where it's sacrilege to ever say that you don't want Spurs to beat Arsenal, you don't want Spurs to pick up a point against Arsenal. Would it have been, like, uh, just from a narrative point of view, just ridiculous had Spurs ended up, I don't know, Harry Kane stays on side and the goal's allowed or he scores from the free kick or Davinson Sanchez puts that chance away. Are we sitting here having a different conversation? I think we have a bit, like we have like 10 or 15 minutes where we're just kind of laughing our asses off that how the hell did we get anything from this game like this, it was just like so kind of Arsenal to kind of let that happen. But I, do, I think that we're kind of level-headed in that we can recognise how bad we were yesterday, and it'd, it'd be similar to the West Ham game, isn't it? Because we didn't play really in the West Ham game until we were two 0 down, and it was pretty much too late. We didn't re- play yesterday until we had ten men and we had nothing to lose, and you know, we had to throw everything at it. But yeah, for sure, it would have been really funny, but. I think it would have been hard to see over just a horrendous performance. I, I think there's nothing really more damning that we can throw out around that style than the results any time Spurs have played any side in the top half of the table. I mean, I don't know how many games it is off the off the top of my head, but I'd assume it's somewhere near seven or eight that we've played against teams in the top half. Um, and we haven't beaten any of them. And that is really, really worrying. But it also is kind of like a little bit of a... You sort of flick it and you're like, surely, off the back of another one, you just go like, okay, we've got to do something different now. So the worry, the worry, right, is that it's not pragmatism. It's it's just kind of ideology. I think that that's, that's the concern. I mean, pragmatism doesn't mean playing defensive football and um, we've had this conversation on this pod before I feel like again I've just run out of things to say. Welcome to Groundhog Day. <laughs> it means playing the best possible style to get a win and and I think most people would agree that given Arsenal's relative strengths and weaknesses the best way to beat them would have been to to try and put you know Louise and, and Gabrielle under some sustained pressure and try and force a mistake out of Xhaka and Louise and, and, and try and just press them and attack them and go at them. So that would have, you know, been the pragmatic way, but it just doesn't look like Mourinho ever wants to do that. You know, it looks like he wants to to win in, in the style that admittedly worked really well in, in autumn and and obviously got those results against City and Arsenal at home, 2-0 wins that were really kind of patient and controlled and and sort of worked perfectly and were, were, were kind of classic Mourinho, but it just hasn't worked since December for whatever reason. And, you know, whether that's... Um, you know, whether that's just because the squad's not capable of doing it anymore or or, or whether it's because teams have, have just worked it out, it doesn't really matter. You know, there, there needs to be a, a kind of different way now, I think. And, and yesterday felt like the the perfect time to to do that. And, and it was 
just doubly frustrating that it didn't happen. I mean, it's definitely not pragmatic to to limit your best player up front to about thirty touches all game when he's um when he's had a game against like Palace where he scored twice and assisted twice. Um, and it's generally in incredible form. And then you're asking him to have five minutes at the end to try and um, salvage the result at the very end of the game. Um, yeah, it's spot on, Jude, just spot on. And I think, that, I think that's the feeling that we're all left with is just utter frustration because you could see 15, 20 minutes in what the game plan was and that it was just, you know, having watched us play so well, having watched Harry Kane get on the ball and dominate teams and, and you know us playing this new style of football on the front foot it just felt so frustrating that we weren't going to see that and to dan's point you know those last 10 15 where we put them under some mild pressure they completely crumbled against 10 men and there was two or three times where we pressed them right up to the top of the pitch and leno just kicked it straight into touch and you sort of think as dan said it, it becomes it becomes a question of whether this is his principles that we're going up against rather than anything else. And Yeah, uh, let's, un- let's unpack that a bit, though. So if, if we're talking about ideology, is the the critique there that it, it, it completely blinds people to the idea that Arsenal are just there for the taking, as opposed to any kind of pragmatic approach? Um, or, 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 or is the critique that it's just... Um, that it, that approach will always be used. We'll never deviate from it because it's it's almost like he's trying to prove a point by using that that approach. You know, as Dan said, he has been. He, he will argue that he's been proven right on, on on thousands of occasions throughout his career. And then with Spurs earlier this season, it worked against Arsenal once, and it worked against City once. The truth is, though, we've been doing that we've all been watching the games we continued doing that throughout december throughout january and it failed over and over again and then we we started playing towards the back end of february a, a more progressive style of football that started working pulling teams apart albeit minnows of re, you know in relative size but still premier league opposition and then to just completely throw all that away in an, in an effort to I mean, this is this is the question, right? Was it was it the, the way he genuinely thought that Arsenal could be beaten, or was it more of like this is my style of football and you're going to be beaten by my style? I, of I think the easiest way to unpack it for Spurs fans is a comparison with Pochettino because Pochettino's rhetoric was always we don't worry about the opposition. You know, he'd literally say that most weeks when he was asked about their strengths and weaknesses. It would always be we're focusing on ourselves and. He was an ideological manager in the same way that Pep was and that he would normally always play the same style and it would always be kind of high press, progressing the ball up the pitch, um, lots of energy, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas Mourinho is supposed to be the, the opposite and he's supposed to be a pragmatist and he's supposed to analyse the opposition, work out where their strengths and weaknesses are and then base his game plan on that. And, and so my point is really that you know, most people would look at Arsenal and think their weaknesses were were kind of being pressed into mistakes and being got at, but that's not what happened. Which which sort of suggests that in his own way, Mourinho's got a kind of philosophy, which is that for these big games, these away games against direct rivals and and sort of other top six teams, he just wants to play in in, in that certain way. And I think, you know, I, I don't think we, you know, I don't think we we could we should put it all on Mourinho there. We have got to be balanced and maybe. You know, look at the players, and, and I don't think, 
you know, he th- there's an element whereby, you know, he can't legislate for, for Ndombele you know, messing up two or three counterattacks with, with poor passes. He can't legislate for Ndombele. Um, sorry for Hoiberg being, you know, sloppier than, than he's been for a while and giving away lots of fouls. He could legislate for, for Doherty. I, I find that quite <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the legislation was well, was well written by that point on Doherty. Yeah, I, I, find, I found that selection decision really odd because I think mm. Oreo's, you know, we disagreed on it last time, but he's generally been good and, and Doherty generally hasn't. So I wasn't quite sure what Mourinho was thinking with that one. The even odder thing was the substitute to kind of accommodate for how bad Doherty was playing in that he took one of our last remaining attacking threats off in Bale to bring on Sissoko so that we could play double right back and it still didn't really work. Mm. And cause when when Bale came off and, and Dominic came off a few minutes later, I was kind of looking around at our guys looking, who the hell is going to score a goal? Who the hell is going to create something now? Mm. Like I was really worried about that and to just do it to accommodate this crap right back when an actually now competent right back is on the bench or you could have even just placed a soak right back instead and it's just uh, who did we have on the pitch at that point we had like lamella lucas Lamella-Lucas. and sissoko as the three behind kane and yeah it was, and then it was, came on a few yeah, minutes later yeah then Denny came on yeah and it was yeah it was very much how the how on earth are we going to get the ball to kane with these lads i have i do not place. think that i don't think that those guys have been on the pitch at the same time all season I really don't no, I, was, <laughs> I was going to say that the, the substitutes were a really quick way of making our attack even less uh, well even more disjointed than it had been prior to that because as we all know Sissoko as good as he is at all the defensive uh, side of the game his attacking his attacking side just isn't sharp enough when a team sits deep so he's he becomes essentially useless in those last 10 15 minutes and then and then De- Delhi's trying everything that he can do but he you know he's he's better when he's closer to Son and Kane so yeah the substitutes weren't weren't great yesterday and I think all of us had a, a sinking feeling as soon as I'm not saying Bell had a terrific game by any stretch of the imagination but when, him coming off for Sissoko was a real like uh, a sinking moment. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's was, how you felt. Well, I, I certainly felt as if there was a moment in the game where I sort of had this weird, weird state of panic, which is odd because I don't know why I was panicking considering that I'd watched the previous 60 minutes unfold exactly how kind of we've seen happen on a number of occasions, but it just sort of almost like it was a bit of a shot in the arm. I looked at the clock and saw there was 30 minutes left to go. And I was like, we're in a North London derby. Like, ah, this can't be happening now. Like we just can't be doing this now. Like and I, I completely get pragmatism and I completely kind of get the idea. That it's not ideal losing Son so early on, but seeing Bell go off, just it really threw me because I was uh, like that is the one game in the season where I kind of don't want the team to be that pragmatic I want them to like cap their emotion but use that emotion as fuel and absolutely go after Arsenal you know and I just didn't feel that was there so then about half an hour to go particularly after we'd seen Bell go off I just like I I don't know where we're going to score I don't know where this is like how are we not feeling the walls closing in on us? How are we not feeling this sense of urgency and a sense of desire to go out and take sort of make the game, play the game on our terms as opposed to on Arsenal's, which is which is really baffling. I, th- I think Dan made a really good point, though, about trying to have an element of balance. And so I, I do want to kind of look at the players that, that underperformed because I think... 
I think Hoybier is one that we've all lauded this season at so many points when he's just been fantastic and been the kind of leader and marshal of that midfield and we've loved his performances. Yesterday, Jude, it just felt felt like it was just, a, it's okay to have him because people have him. It was just the wrong time for him to have one of those days where it just didn't happen for him. Yeah, I think, I thought there was one tackle, maybe the fifth minute or some one quite early where he snapped into one quite early. Um, I thought maybe he was, because he, he's had a little rough patch recently. I thought maybe he was back up for a big game. and But yeah, I think just positionally he was, he was caught out. And I think he was on the side of, of Smith Rowe, who was playing on the left, who seemed to be giving Doherty all sorts of problems, and Hoybe didn't really know whether to to get across and help out or or um, or just track Smith Rowe, and like he ended up just sort of in no man's land really. And whenever they got down the left, Arsenal they were getting a lot of joy from sort of cutting the ball back to the edge of the box, and I think and Dombele was alongside him, but he was just a little too late in getting out, and it was it was all very last ditch. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Hoiberg wasn't particularly good. And it's, I think, I mean, you're allowed one every now and again. You just want to see a bit more in a, in a North London derby. And when he's, when he's so good at laying that platform and we just couldn't get it at all, it was, it was a massive, massive miss in that game. Yeah, and something that he's got in common with, with Son, we, we should talk about the Son injury as well, Sean, but something that Hoivier's got in common with Son is that they have just played a brutal amount of minutes. And like we've we kind of made the, the joke on this pod a few times, and I've seen you make it a few times in tweets, Sean, that like Son will be played until he literally can't anymore. And we've found out what that point is. <laughs> yeah, I think... The only time Son has had a muscle injury since his first season here was earlier this season when he came off at halftime against Newcastle, but then was back six days later when we beat Man United at Old Trafford. Like he's so kind of durable that kind of works against him. And now it's really like kind of uh, like a real kind of yardstick moment because it's like if Son can get injured now, then who's next? Like is Hoiberg really going to be that durable? How long do we kind of? Maybe it, start, maybe it starts with him. Maybe this is like Hoiberg's first bad game in a long time and his boy just can't hack the minutes anymore. When's Kane going to have another injury because the, the one earlier in the season was more like an impact one? It's, it's just really kind of worrying when... Because Mourinho said it pretty much yesterday, like Spurs and Arsenal are probably two of the most fortunate teams in the league in terms of injuries right now. Mm. And now we've lost one of our two best players to it. And that kind of totally negates our game plan so it's <laughs> we're lucky we've got an international break coming up yeah <laughs> uh, I just want to go back to the point about the players taking the blame I absolutely think some of the players didn't turn up yesterday and Dan's absolutely right you do have to split the blame but I think at the same time you're the manager you're supposed to pick the team that's best suited to the style you're going to play to the way you're going to play and you put the players in the positions where they're going to perform the best that they can right and so an instance of this is playing Bale and Doherty down a wing where Arsenal's best attacks tend to come from feels really naive as a manager because Bale's not going to track all the way with Kieran Tierney. He's going to run him, going to run him ragged. And Doherty hasn't had a great season. I just think in that instance, if you, I mean, I know there would have been uproar if Bale hadn't started, but only because we, we didn't know that there was going to be this sort of sitting off, sitting deep, the low block. If you'd said, right, we're going to play Lucas on the right, you know, 
Delhi through the middle and and Sonny and Bale up there, it would have made more sense with the style we were going to play because Lucas is going to track all day. He's going to go all the way with Kieran Tierney. He's going to he's going to make sure that that Doherty's covered at all times. I just they got so much joy down there, and we did we by the time we did anything to stop it, it was basically too late. And to the, I suppose I, I I should be doing my job here and playing devil's advocate. Um, the the kind of like um, the the argument I see presented a lot on Twitter is that we don't give Jose enough props when it goes well, um, and then when it doesn't, we don't we don't give any sort of blame to the players. We just jump on Jose's back. Yet yeah, when it when it goes well and things are good, we say well done, Gareth Bale and on Bele, Harry Kane. Um, I I wonder whether whether perhaps it's the approach that makes it harder to go after the players in, in this situation, considering the last month that we've had. Absolutely. We've just watched them thrive for a month, play the best football we've seen all year and pull apart teams. Then we revert to this and they all look a bit lost again. The system goes out the window. It's so disjointed. They couldn't pass five yards yesterday. That, I mean, that is not Jose Mourinho's fault, but it does fall back into how we were playing before. And it does suggest that how could Jose watch the last month, watch what had happened in the month before that, and then go, okay, do you know what? We're going to go, we're going to revert back to it. And hopefully this time is the one where you guys get it right. But I don't think, I I know people say we're too harsh on them when it, when it loses because, because yesterday it became all about just the victory. And as it's been said before, when the victory doesn't come, then it feels really bad. Do you know what I mean? And also, I think we've been very positive about Jose in the last month. I think he's been uh, he's completely changed his tune in the last month. He's found a way of getting our best players onto the ball and really harrying teams. And I was I said on the last podcast, I love the way we've been pressing teams. It's such a refreshing change, and it also proves that our players can do it. That was the other thing. It's not like we've been going out and conceding loads of goals. We've been scoring loads of goals, conceding very few. Clearly, not putting the pressure on the back line has been really helping. But um, but I do understand when people say uh, we put too much uh, onto Jose after losses, but it just feels like it was a decision made by him yesterday that didn't help our team. And it and it the the watch was terrible. It's just a bad watch. I've just seen um, the headline from Barney Renee in the Guardian from last night from his match report, and I think that kind of sums up why the kind of the criticism of Jose are so fierce compared to the players. It's Mourinho's plan of sitting deep and winning with Rabona comes unstuck. <laughs> that, that is absolutely perfect. Yeah, very good. Very good. But, the, but that's something he believes in, isn't it? Those individual moments. He believes in mistakes. He thinks you should wait for the other team to make mistakes. He believes in individual brilliance. He thinks if you have the better players, you should win the game because of individual brilliance. You know, We know that these are things he believes. But Arsenal were ready yesterday, and and our players didn't didn't get it together. Didn't make it happen. <laughs> Let's do the beautiful and the ugly together. Like for the first time ever on this pod, we'll merge <laughs> the two because finally there was a performance that, as if but we it's so easily. If I asked you last week if there's going to be one person that manages to combine them both, who will it be? <laughs> you would have put your house on it, wouldn't you? You would have put your house on it. The duality of Eric Lamella. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> He's literally the two the two masks. Like that moment before the um first goal against Dinamo being like 
everything sort of the perfect Lamella moment. There was the kind of somehow managing to to foul someone while turning or dribbling or refusing to use his right foot. But then th- this game was like um, yeah, even more Lamella, like even more peak Lamella. But I mean, oddly, I mean, it felt really oddly characteristic. But he actually he's actually never been sent off for Spurs before. Yeah. The second mm. one in his career, but at the same time, that felt really in character. Um, just because I feel like it's been coming for about eight years. <laughs> can I can I just give you a stat? It's been coming for thirty yellow cards. Wow, <laughs> thirty yellow cards. It was, and then you could feel it. Gets booked in the North London derby. Yeah, and yeah. I, mean, I can't speak for Mourinho because I don't know what's happened in the last two. I don't know. Maybe Lamella was injured, but. Pochettino used to always start in the North London Derby, get booked and take him off. Mm. And that was like a theme. And Spurs always got a bit worse and a bit less intense when he went off, actually. Um, so yesterday, obviously, him being a sub, it was it was much harder to take him off. So perhaps that was, you know, perhaps that was the, the, the kind of um, clincher in the end, the fact that he, he couldn't really be substituted. Um, but I mean, it, yeah, Lucas did, did an interview afterwards where he said... Um, yeah, like Eric's does Rabonas all the time in training. And you know, players say that kind of stuff a lot. And a lot of the time you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, you're just kind of saying that because it, it sounds good. But in this case, like, I totally believe that he's always doing. <laughs> I reckon that's all he does in training. I reckon he doesn't shoot. I reckon whenever he has, he's crossing from the right in training, he's <laughs> <Yeah>. a <Rabonis. Yeah. laughs> uh, So I saw a tweet that said Eric Lamella chose, uh, woke up today and chose Puskas and death. And I was like, that's perfect encapsulation. I've never seen a player come on the pitch at, at 100%, is, 150% so angry. Puskas and death. He literally was so spot on, is it? Because he was going to clatter someone. We came and on and he just in, kicked. But... Who was it? He came on, kicked Xhaka. Kicked Xhaka and Louise. Kicked Louise. And I was like, there's no way he finishes the game today. He's come on, <laughs> he's come on hot. So hot. <laughs> He, was, he really was coming in on fire, wasn't he? Like, he's, and the thing was, is that I, I don't know about you, Jude, but I loved that 10 minute period where I was like, yeah, like that's, that's a North London derby. Don't get sent off, stay on the right side of it. But as the game went on and even though he'd been booked, he was still flying into challenges. I was like, oh no, stop, stop, stop. He was flying in when the ball was like on the touchline as well, or it was just about to go out. And he was no, he's getting ten feet off the ground and like studs about up, about to go out right for into people's shins. Throwing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he wants blood. He's out there for blood, nothing else really. Um, yeah, I mean, he is someone who injects a little bit of uh, shit housery, I suppose, and there was very little of that anywhere else from um, from Tottenham's forward players anyway so that was that was nice and that as a fan you do watch that and sort of think right yeah come on let's have it but it didn't really get any more than that i liked his reaction to when he did get sent off he was going like me this guy (laughs) he was probably more saying we did after i've just kicked everyone for 30 minutes this (laughs) is what i'm getting sent off for (laughs) have you not that's the final straw is it i was just that's it i was just moving him away Yeah. So, the I mean the ugly side. It was it was it was very very frustrating. I feel like in the ugly we should also kind of we should just touch on the pen. I I want just to get everyone's opinions on this really and see where people are at with it because I just thought it was 
the most bizarre sequence of football I've uh, possibly ever seen in term, in a North London. Diet. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Has anyone ever seen someone miscue a shot and win I a penalty? There are guys on Arsenal pods right now saying what we've been saying about Lamella, but about Lacazette in that it's the most Lacazette thing to completely and absolutely yeah. fuck up a shot like that and still somehow win a pen and score the pen. <laughs> like, he, I, I, honestly, when I saw it firsthand, I thought, oh my God, what a challenge and VAR's going to overturn it. And then you look back at it, it's like, Oh, oh, Lacazette did that. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, okay. Oh, oh Sanchez oh. just come into and clap. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, it's done it. To Fair enough, Michael Oliver. What What needs to go in the ugly here is everything that leads up to the goal. You know the goal we that was disallowed against Fulham when I said just an absolute catalogue of mistakes, errors. Well, that was it again. Just like one mistake's made, the second mistake's made. Oh, where's the centre back? Oh, he's made a tackle. Oh, he's taken him out despite a. I mean, despite a complete miscue from Lacazette, it was just Larissa's kicking, which we, well, you know my views on Larissa's kicking. It's not not very good. And then I think Sanchez does everything right, to be honest. And and if if Lacazette catches it, ironically, it's probably not a penalty, but it, it, I think it it probably is a penalty. And and, and Mourinho <clears throat> sort of controlling the narrative to make the post match all about oh the penalty decision. It, it sort of. It, it detracted from what had been a really disappointing performance all in all. I wonder whether um, we should be in any... Mourinho was agreed that post, post-match, post he definitely wanted to control that narrative, didn't he? He wanted to kind of move it towards the idea that there is no explaining Michael Oliver's decision, um, which you've seen this happen time and time again. Did you think there was any validity to that? I thought the penalty... Go on! <laughs> I, thought, I, mean, I thought the penalty was was kind of... A penalty, but I could also sympathise. It was sort of like if if someone spanks a pass out of play and and they you know they get clattered in the middle of the park, that's a foul. Even even if they've you know even if they've already given away the ball in the same way that just because Lacazette had completely miscued the, the chance, I think Sanchez still caught him and took him down and you know arguably or, or definitely kind of ended his chances of, of recovering the situation. So. I didn't have a huge amount of sympathy for, for Mourinho's view that, that kind of Michael Oliver should should do the interview himself. But, <laughs> um, I don't agree that, that that would really get us anywhere, which it would just um, increase the scrutiny on referees, I think. But yeah, I mean, look, the, I don't really blame Mourinho. You know, he's, he, he is, um, you know, he's, he's always done this. You know, he's, he's taken the heat off both himself and, and his team and, and tended to put it on external factors like like referees. Um, you know, and a lot of the time that, that can be that can be effective for him and, and the players. And, and that was kind of inevitably what he was going to do. It doesn't feel like there's too much uh, argument against then on here. So, uh, Hunter, I know you're doing an interview of Jermaine Genus today. Maybe you can take it up with him. God, he's had a tough 24 hours, hasn't he? He's really, he's really put his neck out there, though. Like after a derby, to really go that hard on uh, on the subject is just brave. I think more than anything. What's he done? I've missed this. He went big on the, it's not a pen. Yes, it, it was, he he was just quite um, adamant that it wasn't a pen, and got, I think he got into sort of handbags with Martin Keown over it on <laughs> much of the day. Um, but and then went on Twitter and said to people that they don't know football. So you know. Decisions Dan, were made. Dan knows ball. <laughs> Dan, Dan can comment because he knows ball. Dan definitely knows ball. Yeah, Dan does know ball. <laughs> Dan knows ball. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> on the plus side, when, you know, when we were, we were looking at sort of old North London derby footage ahead of last week's pod, um, Genus in the, that 5-1 League Cup win, brilliant. Yeah. Um, forgotten that. He loved the North London derby goal, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he scored in the 4-4. Yeah, he scored in the 4-4. Well. He scored in the 2-2 last minute while lane. He scored in the... Well, the he scored in the first league of the 5-1 one as well, actually. Mm. Great yeah, record. Um, was there any other bits that people wanted to sling in the uh, the ugly or the beautiful? Or are we, we good to move on? Do you think we've done enough on the Doherty situation? <laughs> Oh, let's not. Yeah, let's give the guy a break. I, think. Let's not, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to shine a light on it. I don't want to make it personal with him. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I'd be interested to know kind of what, what, what people want to see against Villa, just assuming that Son's not fit, which I think is a safe assumption. Because obviously Lamella will be suspended. So, do you know, oh, Eric. Delhi, Delhi into the, the front with, with Lucas and Bailey the side. What's yeah, I, to, yeah, I think that's how it works for me. What's happened to Stevie Stevie Bergwijn? I mean, I know he was. On oh, a... God, Bergwijn exists. Yeah, <laughs> he played. He That's played dumb. in the. He came on, didn't he? And yeah, had he that did. big chance with Bale, oh, that yeah, gorgeous yeah. left foot cross. So maybe it's an opportunity for him. Massive about, opportunity uh, for him. Lacelso. Yeah. I'd like to see him get some minutes. Oh, I'd, I'd love. I'd love to see. I mean, it feels like we could probably do with some players who didn't play in the North London derby playing in the next game. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like. Let's bring in the others. Get the others in. I'd love to see Delhi in. Obviously, it felt like it felt at half time yesterday that Delhi should have come on. Uh, yeah, I'd like oh, to see Delhi. I'd like to see Bergwijn. I'm not sure. Rather annoying one to add into this is that we've also got a field of team against Zagreb away. Suddenly you're like, Oof, who plays in that? Well, Lamella for one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing punches in Zagreb. <laughs> Sent off twice in a week. Yeah. Yeah, I think Carlos Vinicius, I think Kane, Kane after yesterday, well, maybe after yesterday, he wants to get a few goals on as well, but it must have been so frustrating. And you saw him get frustrated yesterday, that sort of shoulder charge on on um, Gabriel was the sign of a man who was very frustrated. Did, did people think that was as bad as it was being? Absolutely made? no chance. It's, it's, it's the same old boring narrative around Harry Kane that the Arsenal fans have tried for years. Yeah, Can't, there was Arsenal red fans... cards being asked for. I was like, all right, lads, calm down. It's Arsenal fans Arsenal are essentially, fans, yeah, they're essentially Roy Keane in the tunnel, going, "You're not a nice guy." Remember when um, Leno got the injury against Brighton last year, just, just after the restart, and they were like, and after like Mope pushed him or whatever when he was jumping, and it was like mm. every striker does that. You're like, yeah, you guys been living under a rock. <laughs> Stop crying, Jesus! You won the match. Shut up. Okay, let's <laughs> let's try. Let's Clip try. It. <laughs> Let's try and um, let's try and get that eleven down then. So we think it's Vinicius. We think Lamella plays Bergvine probably against Zagreb as well. So who slots in? Is it Delhi? I think Delhi probably, but then mm-hmm. I'd like to see Winks. Yeah, Winks is okay. I'd like to see Winks in there. Maybe okay. <laughs> Who needs Bale? Those two work really nicely <laughs> together. <laughs> That was that was the other really depressing thing was we brought on <laughs> we brought on Sissoko for Bale uh, that song just started ringing around my head and I was like <laughs> we need Bale <laughs> sort of echoing in the back yeah, of your yeah. mind yeah. <laughs> the sound yeah, like, of silence it was like a Radiohead version of Who Needs Bale when we've got Sissoko <laughs> brilliant um, and then I mean will it will it be Hugo in goal? Why risk Joe Hart now? Is the is the question? 
I think it'll to... be Lloris. Yeah. I think it'll be Aurier, Dyer, Davis, and Sanchez probably. Yeah. And do, do you know what? It's suddenly uh, one thing from this weekend is definitely brought into focus that our season will basically hinge on the Europa League, won't it? And the inevitable clash with Arsenal. Well, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that one. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure breaking down us getting turned over by Arsenal. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, back again on Friday, uh, where hopefully is the uh, is the Europa League draw this Mid- Friday? Is it midday on Friday? Ooh, so maybe we'll get. We might be. We might be breaking. We might have to do the Twitter clacks and siren thing and write breaking, <laughs> and deliver news that's already come out on various other platforms and claim it as our own. Um, <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, yeah, it, I, I hope you enjoyed the pod today. Please do leave us a, a rating and a review if you didn't think about subscribing. We'll see you all on Friday. Uh, yeah, be well. Take care. What a feeling! What a night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.